Love the Talk Radio. Okie doke, looks like a songbook. Let's stand together. Let's turn to number 180. Number 180. Let's sing out good and strong this morning. Bring them in. Heart is the shepherd's voice I hear Out in the desert dark and drear Calling the sheep who go not astray Far from the shepherd's fold away Bring them in, bring them in Bring them in from the fields of sin Bring Happy birthday to you. 
Amen. Well, let's go from that over to number 70. And if we're singing the light, we might as well rescue the perishing. Amen. That's what it's all about. Amen. Number 70. <laughs> Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. We for the erring ones, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty and brave. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Though they are Thank you. 
as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas, and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had prayed and fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John for their ministry. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Illumus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And let's stop there, and we're going to ask the Lord to bless the message this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the written word of God. Thank you, Lord, for a little old man named Saul of Tarsus, Lord, that you saved by your grace. And, Lord, you called him to do a great and mighty work. And Father, I'm so grateful for that work, Lord. It got me the gospel. It got salvation to Lord, to me, and Father, I'm so thankful, Lord, that your Holy Ghost drew me and showed me that I needed to be washed from my sins, I needed to be forgiven, I needed to be filled with your Spirit. Lord, I needed to know the Word of God and walk with you. Father, I'm thankful that I'm your child. Lord, I pray this morning as we study, Lord, the ministry, the beginning of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, Father, I pray the Holy Ghost of God would guide us and speak to us and speak through us this morning. Lord, that we give Christ the honor and the glory for all of it. Lord, we're so grateful for the Word, so grateful for salvation, so grateful for church, and, and Lord, our church family. Lord, meet with us now. Lord, may we feel your presence. Open our hearts, minds, and understanding. Lord, meet with those, Lord, also that are listening in to us. Father, we pray your blessing just go, Lord, throughout wherever you'll send it. Lord, we just love you now. We thank you. We ask, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, we ask for the power of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, as we get into this, I want you to understand this is not going to be, again, it's not going to be some bombastic point-by-point sermon. We, as we're looking through the book of Acts, sometimes we just really have to take it and just kind of go verse by verse and just see what all is there. God put lots of stuff in here for us to find, but we've got a mind for it a little bit. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So again, as we as we get into this, into chapter, into chapter uh, 13, let's remember what we've seen up to this point. Chapter 7 was all about Stephen. 
It was all about Stephen, and Stephen, Stephen was martyred. He was stoned to death for his for the faith. Then chapter eight is all about Philip, and he goes on and he preaches to that Ethiopian eunuch. You remember on the way down to Gaza after after the revival that was that was happening up the road, and uh, and Philip left and went down and from Samaria went down there and witnessed to him. And then chapter nine we read about Paul, uh, Saul, and his conversion on the road to Damascus, which we just got through singing about. And then chapters 10, 11, and 12 are all about the Apostle Peter and his journeys. And uh, and then chapter 13 we come to, and it's all about Paul. This is really where the book of Acts shifts away from the Jews and shifts to the Gentiles. And uh, so anyway, this is the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, and we see the first thing he did right at the gate to go to the missionary, to the Apostle of the Gentiles, he went straight to the Jews. First thing he did. He said, well, why do that? Well, he loved his people. Amen? And the Bible talks about to the Jews first and also to the Greeks, so I'm not surprised that he did go to the Jews first. But let's begin there, verse 1. All right? It says, it says now in the church, there was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Let's just don't read the names and not talk about what it just said there. So, in this church in Antioch that had, had not been started that long ago, this is a young church. Uh, you remember Barnabas? Uh, Barnabas went up there, and uh, and he went, and, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but anyway, let's, let's read who's there in this church. So, we see that there's a guy named Simon. Simon, which is called Niger. There's a country in Africa called Niger. I don't know if y'all are, if y'all are familiar with that. But the word Niger means black. That's literally what it means. So he was called, hey, black, hey, black, or he's black, the black one amongst us. He was a dark-skinned fellow. He's from northern Africa. Uh, I want to say Cyrene. Not Cyrene. Yeah, Cyrene. That's where he's from. That's in northern Africa. So he was a dark-skinned man. But not only that, but he's also somebody that you've seen before. Do you remember when Jesus was being taken to be crucified, and he's on his way up to Calvary, and there's a man who comes walking up into town, and they say, hey, you, carry his cross. And he was a black man. That's Simon. Same one. He's now up in Antioch. He's a teacher. All right? He's a respected teacher at the church in Antioch. So then the second, the next guy we see there is Lucius of Cyrene. So he's from the same country, the same area. But according to Paul, he's one of Paul's kinfolks. In Romans 16, verse 21, here's what Paul says in closing out that letter to the Romans. He says, he's telling who's there. He says, Timotheus, Timotheus, rather, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinfolk. So he was a kin, he was kinfolk. With Paul, and but yeah, he was also from down there in Africa. So Paul had the Paul had kin folks from, from a lot of different places. But he was also a teacher there in Antioch. And then we see another guy named Manan. Manan's a unique dude. He's in a unique situation because the Bible tells us that he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. That don't mean they grew up in the same town. That means they grew up in the same house. Don't understand. Don't have all the details. God tells us that much. So maybe he was his stepbrother. I don't know. It's possible that maybe that, that's what happened. Maybe his, his, his dad or his mom married somebody else, and, and that's how he 
came to be, or maybe perhaps he was like a foster brother situation, or maybe perhaps he was one of the servants in that household child, and they grew up together, but nevertheless, they grew up side by side. And that's interesting, isn't it? That's Herod that just killed James and just arrested Peter, and we saw in the end of the last chapter, he, 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 uh, he stood up and, and bragged uh, at, a, at a meeting where he was at, he was giving a speech, and everybody started going, ooh, look at him. And, he, and history tells us he had on a woven silver garment, and the sun was hitting it, and it was shining, and everybody was in awe. And they said, it's the voice of a God, not a man. And he said, well, that sounds good. Oh, me a God. And immediately the Bible says the angel of the Lord smote him with worms. He was eating with worms, and he died. So we can tell he wasn't a good Jew to begin with. He lacked that pagan stuff. Amen. He, he liked hanging with the Romans and eating with the Romans. I got trichinosis. Who knows? I don't know. God smote with worms, however, however he died. But that's neither here nor there. But uh, anyway, and then we see there was Barnabas there. He, remember, Barnabas was called the son of consolation. He was a big helper. He was a big comfort to the early church. He was a Levite, and he was a native of Cyprus, which is the island right there in the middle of the Mediterranean, if you know the Mediterranean area, right there, right there up in the, in the middle of it. And he had land in Cyprus. He was a landowner. And when the church was having struggle and having a hard time in chapter 4, uh, he sold his land in Cyprus and gave the money to the church to help them because here they were. They were a bunch of people separated from their families and just barely making ends meet. And he came and gave them a big financial gift. And they called him the son of consolation because, man, you've helped this church so much. History tells he was a very wise man, a very, a very, uh, he carried himself well. He was a very, uh, somebody, when people uh, got around him, but, you know, they, they knew he was an important man. They knew he was somebody to be respected. Um, so anyway, so he went to Tarsus about a year in our timeline, about a year ago. And we're seeing Peter uh, you know, going up to Joppa and, and uh, healing Aeneas and, and, uh, and healing uh, uh, the girl up in, in, in was it Lydda? I can't remember the city it was in, but anyway, he healed the girl Tabitha, uh, raised her from the dead. All the time that's going on, Barnabas is up in Antioch, and he goes up to Tarsus right off the road, and he gets Saul. He says, hey, Saul, come down here to Antioch to the church and help me and Simon and Manan and Lucius. We're going we're gonna to raise it. Build a church here for God in Antioch. So Paul goes down there and he spends a year laboring in that church there in Antioch. And so all of them are working there together. And, uh, and I, like I said, in Acts 25 and 26, they then departed Barnabas and Tarsus to seek Saul. When he found him, he brought him again, him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And they, the disciples were called Christians the first in Antioch. So that's the first time they were ever called Christians. So understand, again, we're talking about a transitional book. So you had you had the church at Jerusalem, which was there first, right? People were getting saved in the church at Jerusalem. They were teaching them, because they were Jews, they were teaching them Jesus really is the Messiah. He is the Messiah, because they're speaking to Jews who are waiting for the Messiah. So they're preaching that of who Jesus is. But then you've got the church at Antioch, which is being filled up with Gentiles, and they're not preaching necessarily who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. They're preaching 
he died, was buried, and rose from the grave. That's what the gospel is. And the gospel goes from he's, he's the Messiah who's come to he's the Savior who has already come, and he has died and been buried and rose from the grave. And salvation is based on that. So we're going, again, we're shifting, transitioning from the law to grace. All right? And by the way, it doesn't make any difference that the Jews were down in the church of Jerusalem and the Gentiles up the church in Antioch. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So regardless of whether they were Jews or whether they were Gentiles, we're all in that same church, living God. All right? But the Bible tells us here in verse 1, and I know you're all thinking, boy, you're dragging. You're never going to get to verse 14, but I will, I promise. Um, I told you I may take a little extra, but anyway. The Bible says there were prophets in the early church. See, there it says there, there were certain prophets and teachers. Do we have prophets today? Anybody know? We don't have prophets today. There's people that say they're prophets today, but we don't have prophets today. You know why we don't have prophets today? Because we have the finished word of God. We don't need prophets anymore. Amen? This book is finished. Amen? And it wasn't Paul, it was Peter in 2 Peter 1, 19-21 who said this. He said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Where until you do well, well that you take heed. In other words, you better pay attention to the word of God. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day, day star arise in your heart. In other words, we don't need anything but the word of God until Christ comes back. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. Nobody's just going to say, well, I think it means this. We go by what it says, not what we think it says. Amen. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. People say, oh, men just wrote that book. No, God's word said it wasn't that way. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So, again, it's not man doing all this. This is God doing all this. Now, let me, let me tell you a quick story. Uh, like I said, there are no prophets anymore. And I think I've never told this before, but everybody on here ain't never heard it, so I'm going to tell it again. I was laying carpet in, Cooper, in, in Cooper, Texas with a, with a guy I worked for, and we had finished the hallway. I was finishing up the hallway. I told this the other day. I remember telling this, so I'm going to tell it again. And as I was finishing, the woman of the house, she, we talked a minute, and she told me, or I told her I was a preacher. I just, I just surrendered to preach. I just started preaching out here at Lane's Chapel. And uh, anyway, she sat in a dark bedroom while I was finishing up the hallway. She was doing something. Oh, I could see her over there moving around at a nightstand, and the room was light was out in the room. And right before we left, she handed me an envelope, and she said, read this on your way home. So I, I opened it up. We're halfway between Clark's, I mean, uh, Cooper and Paris. And I started reading this letter, and it started, it's saying all these things that are going to take place in my ministry. All these things that are going to happen to me in the ministry. And at the bottom of the page, she wrote, Thus saith the Lord. You know how many of them things came through? You know why? She wasn't a prophetess. Let me tell you something. They said, well, you don't understand the experience I've had. You don't understand this. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't understand what God's done in my life and blah, blah, blah. I don't care what kind of experience you have. If you're experiencing the life of the Word of God... Your experience can go just in the lake. That's plain and simple. I take this book over anything. 
anybody's word. Amen? If my mama tells me something that will line up with the word of God, my mama's wrong. I don't care. You know, it don't make no difference. Whoever it is, the, the most famous preacher in this country could, could, could tell you it's this way, but if the word of God don't line up with it, he's a liar. God's word is true always. Anyway, I don't want to hang, off, hang up on that too long there. So let's look at verse 2. I just want to make that plain. The word of God is our final word on everything. Verse 2, the Bible says there, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I called them. Do you see that? The Holy Ghost spoke. Get it out there. The Holy Ghost spake unto them, Barnabas and Saul, for the work. Now, I want you to notice. What's going on? I mean, again, all this, this this chapter, I mean, this book of Acts, what we're learning is Holy Ghost power. We're learning about how, I mean, Christ went to heaven. He said, I'll send you another comforter. He's sending, he's sending his spirit to us. And how does he work? How does he move? How does he do what he does? That's what we're learning here. Because, listen, he ain't gone anywhere. He's still here. He lives in me and you. When you got saved, the Holy Ghost of God's in there, and he wants to work through you, and that's what we're seeing is how he works. So, what was going on when the Holy Ghost spoke? Number one, they were busy for the Lord. They were working for Jesus. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing for the Lord. Listen, so many people sit back and say, well, when God speaks to me, I'll do what he wants me to do. That's the wrong way to go about it, folks. You put your, you, you drop your plow and go to serving God where you are. You know, there's a, there's a little song or a little poem right in the corner where you are. That's what you're supposed to do. Those people that God got around you right now, those are people that he wants you to minister to. Those are the people that he's got you right there. God don't have you in the wrong place on accident. God's got you where he wants you, and he's got people that only you can reach. So work for him where you are with what you have until he says do something else. And while you're working for him, God, if he wants to change your trajectory, God is able to do that, but he, he speaks to people who are busy for him already. All right? And then it says also that they fasted, seeking God's will. Now, I don't know how many of you in here have ever fasted, but there's a reason for it, and I'm not going to go deep into it. But the reason for fasting is depriving yourself of your appetite. Okay? When you fast, you're not saying, I'm never going to eat again. You're not saying, I'm going to go until I pass out. What you're saying is, I'm going to step away from my comfort. I'm going to separate myself from feeding myself where I get all full and comfortable and relaxed and want to go to sleep. I'm going to do without food, and I'm going to deprive myself to where... See, because, listen, let me tell you, scientific, I'm not no doctor, but I do know a little something. You've only got so much blood in your body. And when you eat a big meal, you know where it goes? It goes to your digestive system to digest your food, to work your because your digestive organs are working overtime
and they separated to God, you know what? They heard his still, small voice. Because that's how God speaks. You know, and related to Elijah, uh, in 1 Kings 19, 11 and 12, Elijah, after after the Mount Carmel incident, and he went down, he, he was down by the brook, and the, you know, and, and then he went, he went up into a mountain cave, and, and, and there was a wind and an earthquake and a fire, and the Bible talks about it here, and it says, he says, go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountain. You imagine that, a wind so strong it breaks the mountain. And that must have been kind of hair-raising, don't you imagine? You're standing on a mountain and look over there, and the wind hits another mountain and it cracks it. And the Bible said it would break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And I said, well, look what God did. God went in that wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Pretty exciting afternoon. Wind, boom, cracked rocks, earthquake, fire breaks out. But God wasn't in none of that. He says, and after the fire, a small, still voice. God doesn't speak through all these to us when we get quiet. When when we're not focusing on our flesh and this world and all that, but when we get separated unto him, that's when God speaks to us. So he spoke to them. In the midst of everything else that was going on around them, they separated from the noise to hear the voice of God. And you know what he did? The Bible said he separated them further. So they were already separated from the Lord, but he said separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work. So among all of those, he said set those two aside. I'm going to use them. So he separated them further. Look at verse 3. And when they had fasted and prayed, so they fasted some more and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they laid their hands on them. We talked about that a little before. But when 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 they lay in hands on them, there there are different times in the Bible when the hands were laid on them. There were times when they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. That that happened previously in in the Book of Acts. But here, this is not about the Holy Ghost necessarily being them receiving the Holy Ghost because Barnabas and Saul were both filled with the Holy Ghost. They had the Holy Ghost inside of them. They were both born again individuals. So this was not about that. This was ordination. They're ordaining them to go out and do the work. So what does that mean, ordination? It means they're agreeing in prayer for these men to serve God in this capacity. When when, when there's an ordination service and and other preachers gather around a young preacher who's surrendered the ministry and they lay their hands on him and they're praying for him, what they're doing is saying, I'm yoking myself in prayer with you in this ministry, and I'm agreeing that God is going to use you mightily. <coughs> and I'm praying for that end. And we're in agreement that we're going to support you in prayer. So that's what they're doing. And so Saul and Barnabas, they go out together as the first missionaries. They were called and they were sent by the Holy Ghost of God. So what all does he do? He'll separate you for work. Listen, God said, hey, I want to use him. I want to use her. And the Holy Ghost of God separates you from the common humanity, work of humanity, for the work of God. When God called me, he did that for me. He separated me. You know what? Some people don't believe the Holy Ghost of God can speak to you. They don't think he can. 
But I'm, I'm here to tell you he can. I'll give you three examples in my own life when the Holy Ghost of God spoke to me. First of all, in 1996, February the 2nd, 1996, I was as far running from God as a man could do, and God drawed me back to himself, and he used Ephesians 6.13. We just read it the other night, Sunday night. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. God used that verse and told me I'd been laying down with the devil's crowd, and I needed to get up and stand, and I needed to let him use my life. Living on there was another time. It was my, my call to preach. About three months later after that, but as a verse of Scripture God used in calling me to preach, John 9, 4, which said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. And I realized my time on this earth is short. I need to be used for God. I need to preach his gospel. And then after I went to Bible college, I was in Bible college, and my, my dad passed away, and I felt this burden to go to Arkansas and take care of my grandparents because my dad was an only child, and I knew that they needed me. My grandmother had, a, had an aneurysm in her, in her brain, and, and she was not in the grace to health, and I just I, I felt that, like that's where I needed to be, but I was in Bible college. And the Bible college I was in, it was one of them. They'll browbeat you and make you feel like you're a worm if you don't do exactly as they say. You're the lowest of the low if you go against anything they say. And so they had this kind of a mind thing going on, this this guilt thing they had going on. And I, I was feeling like God wants me to leave here and go there, but yet they were saying, you leave, well, you'll never amount to anything. You'll be a spiritual gypsy for the rest of your days, and you'll never, you'll never pass through, you'll never do anything. They try to tell you all that to keep you there. But I was sitting at work. I was sitting at work one night. I was sitting, I was say rather sitting. I'd been at work all night long. This has been happening for days on end. And I'm running this great big uh, machine that they pour molten aluminum into, and it shoots it up into a mold and makes it makes parts. And I've been running that machine, and it's so loud in there, nobody can hear you. You can scream, bloody murder, nobody would ever hear you. And so I'm standing there at my machine, and I'm opening up, taking the parts out, and I'm spreading it down with that liquid, and I'm saying, God, why can't you just talk to me? Why can't you just say it out loud? I just tell me, what should I do? Should I go? Should I stay? What should I do? Why can't you just talk to me? I'm just yelling to God, top of my lungs. And that's okay. God has big shoulders. Well, lunchtime came, and I went into the break room. I sat down, had my Bible. And I just flipped it open. They landed on Psalm 139. Here's what it said to me. Oh, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downfitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but oh, Lord, thou knowest it all together. is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. And here's what got me. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. And before I went home that morning, I knew good and well it was all right. If I went to Arkansas and took care of my grandparents, because I wasn't going to go anywhere, God wasn't going to take care of me and lead me from. 
God had a disappointment in front of me if I could ever wanted an answer to a question. Amen. And I don't regret that decision. God spoke to me that night and told me, okay, you want me to talk out loud? I talk from my scripture. And if you're seeking an answer from God, and if you'll pray diligently and you'll search the scripture, God will give you the answer you're looking for. He speaks from his word. Amen. Now, let's keep going. Verse, verse 4. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Cilicia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So they, the Holy Ghost sent them out, and they left the port. They, they traveled from Antioch just a few miles down to the port city of Seleucia, and they got on a ship, and they sailed not so far across the, the Mediterranean to the Isle of Cyprus into the city of Salamis or Salamis. I don't know how you say it. I mean, maybe that's where they made Salami in. I don't know, but that, that looks like Salamis, don't it? All right. But anyway, they went down to the city of Salamis, or Salamis, and, 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 and verse 5, the first stop on the trip, they preached the word of God in the synagogues and the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. Why did they go to the Jews? First of all, they're not, he's a apostle of the Gentiles, right? Well, I think number one, it was familiarity. You know, let's go there. At least there we know what we're talking about. At least there they'll relate to us. There's familiarity. At least there, we can tell them that he is the Messiah. We can we can preach we can preach what we know from the Old Testament, and, and they're trying to figure this thing out, folks. They're trying to figure out they're human beings just like me and you. They're trying to figure out how God wants them to do this. There's opportunity there now because again, they already know so much Old Testament. It's maybe we can just show them pretty easily. So they preach the Messiah to them. So they had to come to them where they were. And that's what you have to do when you witness to somebody. You've got to meet them where they are. You can't expect them to know what you know. You can't expect them to be where you're at. You've got to just condescend to their level in order to reach them. And that's what they were trying to do. Verse 6, and they witnessed their way across the island. And they came to the port city of Pampas. And there they ran up on a sorcerer. They ran up on a sorcerer. He was a false prophet. Notice his name. Bar Jesus. Y'all know what that means? Son of Jesus. Now, I don't know if his daddy's name was Jesus. There's lots of Jesus in Mexico. Maybe Jesus was a common name. That's the only other name Jesus I see in the Bible, but, you know, maybe that's all that meant. And then again, maybe he was going around telling people he was the son of Jesus Christ because of all the miracles he did. But he also went by this other name. And that other name is Illumus, the sorcerer. He was a warlock. He was a witch, a wizard, an ally of Satan. This is an evil man. This is a performer of the dark arts. You know, there's a lot of that in Judaism. You remember the Jews went into Babylonian captivity? While they were in Babylonian captivity, they picked up a lot of the Babylonian ways. They worshipped the Babylonian gods. You remember, hey, in the plains of Durham, there wasn't the three of them that didn't bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, everybody else bowed down. All of those Jews bowed down. They picked up on a lot of these Babylonian ways. That's why when Jesus showed up on the scene, Judaism was as corrupt as it was because, again, you got all that influence in there. 
they've, they've lost sight of the Messiah. So, anyway, so you've got this witch named Illumis. Look at verse 7. The Bible said, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paul, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Okay? Sergius Paulus, he is a Roman Senate-appointed magistrate. He's a Roman ruler sent to rule that area. Okay? The Bible calls him prudent or wise. Why you reckon it calls him wise or prudent? Because he wanted to hear the scripture. He he had heard of, of Paul and of Saul and Barnabas, and he, he realized that these hey, these men have got something to say, so I want to hear it. But realize this devil of a man, Illumus, the devil is working through him. This is the ruler of the country. And so the devil has got his little henchman right there next to him, advising him. He's put an advisor. That's how Satan works. And our government up here in Washington, D.C., it is full of illuminates. It is full. All the way our government, all the way from the White House, all the way down, they are full of illuminates of sorcerers. There are people in there who are tied to the devil and his ways, Luciferian, and they... Why do you think abortion has been illegal so long? Why do you think it was ever made legal? Why do you think they have... They have legalized sodomite marriage. Why? Because these these evil worshiping people want their evil ways in the mainstream. So, Illumis. His name means a wise man. That's what that's what Illumis means. I think it, I think that maybe we get that illuminated. The Satan is, uh, Lucifer is the light bearer, and I think that's maybe why his name was Illumis because he's. He's he's wise. He's going to illuminate and show you things. So, but he's a deceiver. He's a deceiver just like his father, the devil, just like Jesus said. Look at verse 9. And Saul, and Saul, who also is called Paul. See that right there? That's the last time you'll hear Saul called Saul. From here on out, he is called Paul. Okay? And, and by the way, why did he change his name to Paul? Y'all have any idea? I think I can tell you why. <coughs> Saul is a Hebrew name. King Saul. Okay. But here he is talking to a man named Sergius Paulus. Okay. Paul is a Latin name. Who is who is Apostle Paul to go to? He's the apostle to the Gentiles, right? So he, he assumes this ministry as the apostle of the Gentiles and doesn't go by a Hebrew name. He goes by a Latin name so he can, again, what did you say? 1 Corinthians 9, 20-22. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law <coughs> that I might gain them that are under the law and to them that are without law, that's Gentiles, as without law, he says, not being without law to God, not being an outlaw, he's not saying, but uh, but without the Old Testament law, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak, became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I have made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So he's telling us there that whoever, whatever I get, whoever I get around, I'm going to relate to it. 
Listen, I could sit down. I could sit down with a group of, of older ladies and witness to that group, and I can also go out on a basketball court where there's, where there's a group of teenage black kids out there playing, and I can relate to them too. I have to get down on the. I have to get on the level of anybody I'm talking to. I I I've walked in a crowd of, uh, of of Mexicans if they speak English. I mean, I can talk to them and relate to them. You you got to be able to relate to whoever you're talking to. You can't say, well, I'm above all this. No, you get down on that level. Again, people don't care what you know because they know you care. So you get down where they are. All right? So, verse 10. Oh, and by the way, in verse 9, I like what, like what it says here. He says, so filled with the Holy Ghost. What are we talking about in this chapter? I mean, in this, in this, in this book of the Bible, we're talking about Holy Ghost power. Holy Ghost power. What has the Holy Ghost done so far? He has called them out from the rest of the group, set them aside, spoke to them. He has sent them out, and now he is empowering them as they go. So here's Paul. Here's Paul, and he found himself in a situation where he is nose-to-nose, eyeball-to-eyeball with a child of the devil, not only just any old child of the devil, but one who's trying to stand in the way of his missionary work. This man is there to try to force the work of Paul. This, and listen, you're going to find illuminous sorcerers everywhere, people who are trying to stand in the work of the gospel being preached. <clears throat> I, I remember seeing a video to friends of mine up in Minnesota, and they're up preaching, and this guy been riding his bicycle, he's been 20, riding his bicycle through, trying to disrupt them while they're preaching. Well, he gets mad enough at one point, and it's on video, I've seen it, and he comes running on his bicycle, pedaling as fast as he can, and he run, and runs right into the guy preaching, and right before he gets to him, the, the bicycle just locks up, and he goes over the handlebars. There wasn't nobody standing there. God done something. It's a video. I've seen it with my own two eyes. See, when God starts working, the devil can't stand up to it. And Paul, he, he, he looked at this guy, and he knew what he was up to. And the Bible said he fixed his eyes upon him. You know what that means? You didn't, he didn't intimidate him one bit. He looked him right square in his God-given eyeballs. Verse 10. And he said, Oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, you sneaky, dirty joker. That's what he's saying. You sneaky sucker. He said, Thou child of the devil. He didn't, hey, he wasn't soft-soaking that, was he? He wasn't mincing words. He laid it out. What do you do just like in the, in the weather of Oz when they go back there and they pull the curtain back and you see it ain't really Oz, just a man pulling the levers. Hey, he realized this guy ain't no, he ain't going to stand away what God's trying to do. <clears throat> he said, thou enemy of all righteousness, all you want to do is stop the work of God. He said, well, thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord. Verse 11. Oh, by the way, by the way, let me, let me share this verse. That goes hand in hand with 2 Corinthians 11, 3. He said, for Paul said to the Corinthian church, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve. Didn't he just question what God said? Yea, hath God said? Well, he said subtlety. He didn't say, God's a liar. He said, is that really what God said? He just put the seed of doubt. 
He just calls him to question. And that's all the limits is doing, which causes Sergius Paulus to question the validity of the Scripture, to question the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. He said, he said he, as he beguiled his Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from a simplicity in Christ. So Paul pulled out the curtain on the devil. Verse 11. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, said the sorcerer. God's got you, boy, and thou shalt be blind. Not seeing the sun for a season, and immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's more to that than what we just read. Illumis the sorcerer. He's a picture or a type. He's a picture or a type of the nation of Israel. They were so wise in their own conceit that they missed the Messiah when he came. Like I said, in, in, when they were back in that Babylonian captivity, they picked up something which is now called the Kabbalah. Y'all ever heard of the Kabbalah? That's basically paganistic secular Jewish teaching. I, I ran into a man who worshipped was a Kabbalist one time and he had that red you know, remember the red string that they used to wear around their arms, the wrists? A lot of celebrities wore a little red string around their wrists for a while they were in the Kabbalah. And I was over at a Paris, a Paris restaurant and and uh, the woman that owned the place she introduced the man to me. He was a friend of hers and she knew I was a pastor and she said, Oh, this is my friend so and so and I saw the red string and I, I said I said, there's a spring on your wrist. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, you, so you, work, you read the Kabbalah, huh? He said, yeah. He said, oh, yeah. And, uh, I said, well, I got a question for you, buddy. I said, uh, what do y'all do with sin? And he said to me, oh, we have some chants and some incantations that we do to, to get rid of that. I said, well, only Jesus can wash sins away. I, I hope all that works out for you. And, uh, but... They picked up that idea that somehow men could take care of their own sin, that they could be good enough to get to God. That's what the Tower of Babel was all about, was man saying, look here, I'll be just like you, God. I'll build a tower to heaven. You remember what Isaiah said? Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. I'm almost done, y'all. Look here. He said, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how art thou cut to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast sin in thine heart.
without the blood, there is no salvation. Without what Christ did, there is nothing but eternal damnation. Verse 12, this Gentile, Sergius Paulus, the Bible tells us he was astonished at their doctrine. Look at it. So, Alumus <clears throat> has, has, has tried to stand in Paul's way, and Paul is hitting with this curse that God put through Paul on him, and he's went completely blind. He can't find his way around. He's asking somebody to lead him by the hand. The Bible says in the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. I want you to understand something. He saw what was done. He saw that Elimus had fallen blind and that he was helpless. And he wasn't so wise after all. But it doesn't say that he believed because of what he saw. He saw that and it did amaze him, but that's not why he got saved. The Bible said he was astonished at the doctrine. You see, he really, I was pretty astonished too when I heard that I didn't have to do anything to save myself, that I couldn't do anything to save myself, that it was already all done, and all I had to do was put my faith in, in Jesus Christ. And Sergius Paulus, once this devil who was blinding him was out of the way, he had no problem hearing the truth. And it opened his eyes, and he said, wow, I need salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. I need him to wash my sins away. Like, like I said to you before, 1 Corinthians one twenty two says, For the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now, again, it wasn't the miracle there that caused the, the man to believe. He's a Gentile. It was the doctrine. So I ask you this question, a few questions this morning. Number one, do you believe on the written word of God? Is it your final word of prophecy? Is it your more sure word of prophecy? Are you settled on the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone? There's nothing we can mix with it but that won't ruin it. We can't add we can't add baptism to it as a requirement. We can't add tongues to it as a requirement. We can't add church membership as a requirement. Nothing else goes with it. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Is your hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ? And I, I tell anybody listening to me, I don't care where you came from, I don't care what experience you had, don't go looking to God to perform miracles to prove himself to you. Because he's already done everything that's necessary. He need not do anything anymore to prove himself. Salvation's work is finished. The Word of God says so. We're not to touch it. We're just to believe it. We're not to try to change it. We can't add to add it. We don't need to take away from it. It's settled forever and ever. Amen and amen. We're just going to read there the last verse, and then we're going to be done. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Pathos, they came to Perga. They went north to Pamphylia, to what's modern-day Turkey. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to understand, that's not the brother of James, John. That's John Mark. That's the one who put his little cloak over him and went out into the night after Jesus. He's still a young man. And so they've continued on with their with their journey. But I just want to say this morning, listen, this is what we're doing this morning. We're seeing what the Holy Ghost of God can do. 
Again, they went not knowing what they were going to run into, but they knew God was with them. And so the first thing out the gate, first thing out the gate, the devil steps up and says, well, what are you going to do? Paul didn't trust in himself. He didn't look at himself and say, you know, this guy's pretty powerful dude, and I'm just little old me, and I don't know a whole lot. I don't know a whole lot about how to stand up to a guy like this. No, he didn't. He let God fight his battle. He let God be the power. He let God do what God was going to do, and God used him tremendously. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God will use me and God will use you. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him what education we've had. It doesn't make any difference where we came from. God will use anybody who will say, Lord, here I am. Use me. And I urge you this morning to take a look at this and understand that God can use you just like he used Paul, Barnabas, or any of the rest of them if you'll make yourself available and you're willing to go and you, and you won't try to do it for him. You'll let him do it through you. God can use you tremendously. And there are people right in your presence in your midst every single day you live that need Jesus. And if we'll just lean on heavy on what the Holy Ghost of God wants to do through us, we'll see people get saved. We'll see, we'll see things begin to happen. And we'll be able to look back and say, that was the hand of God. That was God working. God did that. You know what? Then we'll rejoice. We'll come in here and talk about what God has been doing in our life. And we'll excite each other. And revival fires will begin to burn. But it has to start with us seeking for God to use the Holy Ghost power through us to reach other people. Let's stand together. We're going to turn to number 382 in our songbook. 382.